Hello and welcome to Film Disruptors, where we bring you the new business and art of storytelling. My name is Alex Stoltz and today I'm in conversation with Gabo Aurora. Gabo is head of the UN Virtual Reality Storytelling Division. Yes, it does exist and we have a wide-ranging conversation about virtual reality, storytelling and social good. If you want to find out more, you can check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, that's S-T-O-L-Z. You can download today's show notes, sign up for updates and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Gabo Aurora. And I started my conversation with Gabo today, asking him about his recent trip to Davos for the World Economic Forum. It's my fourth time going to Davos, and Davos is a very special place because it's really where we debuted our first VR film, Clouds Over Cedra, mm -hmm. in January 2015. That's when we did that, and I've been engaged with the forum before with um, you know planning events with the Secretary General and really trying to understand how we can engage the private sector in our work. And it's never easy. Um, and I've seen the evolution of how companies are shifting their thinking on social impact, on what the UN does, what a lot of our partners do. And just given the climate, it was a very exciting time to see so many companies and so many people from different sectors really come together to try to deal with some of our global challenges. So I was there uh, trying to set up an immersive theater. Uh, I was also giving a sneak preview to world leaders of a new experience I'm doing in room scale VR. Um, for those who might not be familiar with the different types of virtual reality, um, there are the types that you have your headset and you can't move around. But then there's something like with the Oculus Rift or HCC Vive where you're connected to a computer but you can walk around a 10 by 10 space and you can build stories doing that. So <clears throat> I did a sneak preview of that uh, with HTC and then also worked with HTC to convince them that um, this is something that could be really beneficial to the UN and the UN's work not only for storytelling but for trainings and for other ways I mean and and that is starting to happen and we were working on making an announcement and they committed 10 million dollars uh, this year for content and hardware that would be in line with anyone who was doing anything related to the UN's sustainable development goal agenda and we have 17 different categories so it's quite wide and we put all we put out this call to the world and now we're just trying to figure out how we can collaborate with all these people bringing these submissions and doing this work so it was a really it was really big for us and it was um i've also you know worked with oculus with vr for good on their program as a mentor and to help kind of develop and found that program as well so it's really great to see you know a lot of the work that i've been a part of from the beginning that we've been trying to do at the UN really make a lot of these tech companies 
and a lot of people with finance um, feel really excited to support. Wow. Um, well, congratulations on on that uh, partnership. That's that's incredibly exciting, and and I guess these tech companies, like you say, are seeing the potential for the medium as a uh, as a force for change. I suppose is is that how is that how the conversation goes? Yeah, I mean, they usually get in touch, or we usually start rubbing shoulders because you know, at whether it's at tech conferences. I mean, what's amazing about the UNVR work and the work I've done with the UN with virtual reality is that I end up rubbing shoulders with diplomats, with Hollywood, with tech companies. It's a rare sort of project that brings in the nexus of like three very disparate groups usually um, and shows how all of it can be really powerful because it's it's storytelling, which is very, you know, L.A., um, and Hollywood, and then you have the tech aspect, and then we bring it into policy conferences and work with a lot of our work at the UN, but also in Washington, D.C. So in a lot of ways, uh, they're very excited to have access to those types of communities, and so we start talking about how we can do something. But what we've been, I think they're more excited by, is that we've been able to show some impact with the work we have already, like with Clouds Over Cedra, um, we've we have it using it with face-to-face -face fundraisers with UNICEF, um, which is UNICEF's biggest way of raising funds usually is to stop you on the street and ask you for money. Yeah. And, and it's actually a very, uh, sometimes it's annoying, I know, but it's actually a very successful way of doing it. And it's a business model hmm. that a lot of NGOs have. And so, you know, I edited a shorter version of Clouds Over Cedra and trained you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're fundraisers and in 40 different countries and 15 different languages, you have people now using VR headsets stopping you on the street and it's consistently showing that it's doubling donations. So that's one way of impact. My mother's wing, which was our film on Gaza, um, about a mother who lost her children in, in, uh, in, in conflict in, in July 2014. Uh, we world premiered that at Tel Aviv University, and then we showed it on the streets of Tel Aviv and really were able to give people a sense and test what their sort of stereotypes and opinions and everything were about what they were experiencing and if it changed their mind or gave them more information than they didn't have before. And it did. And mm. it wasn't just about money, but it was about making sure to really shine the light that there are a lot of people, even in these other countries, like, you know, in Israel, that are looking for peace and that have empathy and that it's not just black and white. So mm -hmm. that was another really important sort of way we were trying to use it for, for peace building. And then most recently, we have something called the, the Cedra Project, which we piloted in Canada and we launched at the Toronto Film Festival, which is basically... Uh, a whole host of screenings between refugees, recent refugees in Canada and host communities and really trying to build action and empathy and really help that resettlement process through virtual reality. And so that project was, uh, you know, has targeted almost 10,000 people since September and is, you know, we're just going to publish those results uh, very soon and try to take this project now that we think is very important especially with what's happening in the world, 
to Europe and to other countries where we can continue to refine it. So I think the tech companies mm. are like, how do we be a part of this? How do we support you? Of course, they also love the press. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, it's still a. We still live in a very Machiavellian world, you yeah. know. And so I try to make it. I try to understand their bottom line, but speak to their heart. But I understand that their goals are profit, and I I try to convince them that this is actually good business because look at what we've been able to do with our partners. We've been able to generate a lot of attention, a lot of press and a lot of impact and that the consumer is changing and that this can give you an edge uh, in how you can, uh, you know, how, how, what your investors care about. So we try to redefine that in some ways too. Yeah, it sounds like you have to know how to talk to different constituents. I'd love to just, just back up a little bit just to talk a bit about the UN program because um, when certainly when I hear the words UN and VR together, uh, I was, I was like, wow, the UN kind of VR program. That, that's, that's surprising and very cool, obviously. Um, so tell me, you know, how did that come about and, and what, what's the UN's vision for having a, having a, a, a space for this type of storytelling? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, I was at the UN before. And I was with them full time since 2009, mm -hmm. um, doing uh, other stuff. I had studied film and I had sort of a creative background when I was younger in undergrad, uh, especially when I was at NYU, which has a very uh, well-known and reputable film school. Uh, but I had kind of gone another path for my master's degree. I studied development economics and was more as a humanitarian. And it wasn't really until... I'd say 2013, that when I was a development economist with Ban Ki-moon's uh, office working on advocacy for Millennium Development Goals and trying to really, my whole role was to either write reports but then try to get the reports to be relevant and these issues to really resonate with people. And I really felt a sense of disempowerment because I just felt it was the same thing over and over where there'd be a report, there would be maybe an op-ed that I would ghostwrite, <laughs> we, we would call George Clooney, we would try to do the very standard ways of what advocacy was, you know, engaging celebrities or other notable people like Jeff Sachs or Muhammad Yunus, who, you know, I would work very closely with their offices. But at the same time, I could sense that the world was changing, um, that power and celebrity and getting the word out and what we were doing was absolutely transforming in front of my eyes. And I, I didn't see us using those new media strategies and technologies in ways that I thought were, were really apparent. So I, I come from a background where I was like a senior policy advisor, and then I twisted in the creative stuff uh, in order to show the impact. And I think that's very key because Otherwise, if I was just um, a creative mastermind storyteller, Scorsese, I'm just joking. Uh, I think it doesn't, the UN wouldn't care, you know, because there are tons of those people around. But there was, you know, I think it really took having somebody on the inside saying, uh, here, I can show you impact. I can show you scale. I can show you how this is going to resonate more.
I've done that now for two years where we've set this up, but I'm actually transitioning more to not be at the UN full time because I've realized that if I want to have more impact with this, um, I'm going to advise on certain projects, but I'm going to have to be a little bit more independent and take on other projects because otherwise, at some point, I think what it was is when they realized what I was doing wasn't necessarily important, um, you can, I think, get away with a lot. Uh, one, as soon as, uh, it gets more notoriety, which it's starting to do, um, I think in some ways there's more control and more fear. And so in a lot of ways, I think I wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful. I think a lot of it was a certain vision of people within the United Nations, but for the long-term growth of what we've done, we need to work with external partners. We need to work with tech companies and we need not to be necessarily you know, uh, shackled by the same sort of bureaucracy that still defines the UN. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were flying under the radar a little bit and now, yeah. <laughs> and now, and yeah. now less so. But what, what about, what is it about? I mean, that's fascinating to hear, but what, what is it about VR, which you think is so powerful in terms of communicating the aims, goals, priorities of an organization like the UN? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, I think what it definitely does, um, more than anything is show us who we serve and show us what our work is really about, you know, and you can go to, you know, the UN in New York, but very few people can go on the ground and see where the UN actually truly shines. And I think if more people understood, um, the lives and, the environments and the stories of the people that we're trying to help and who, to be honest, we learn a lot from, uh, you know, that was a big part of my sort of philosophy of this series was I know every UN worker that's been motivated to work. And I've worked in, in Zambia and Namibia. I've lived there. I've lived in Haiti. I've lived in Colombia. You know, I've lived all over the world before uh, doing this. Why would somebody leave their comfortable confines of New York City, Manhattan, where I'm from, um, and, and go to these places? It's because we, we are inspired by these people. You know, we are, we, we feel like even us, we have something to learn and there's something we want to build and work together, you know? And that's a key part of the UN's work. It's always in partnership. It isn't this top-down approach, even though a lot of people think it's that way. There's a lot there of like, you know, working with people and all of the stories that we've been able to get for what I've done is through those contacts and through those sort of relationships that we have. So I think it really, you know, serves to really prioritize and bring the voices of the most vulnerable into people's lives. And I think that's like the, like the core of what like UN work should be. And so that's why I find it to be, you know, very, very inspiring. And I think in the parts of the UN where it's gotten support, I think that's where people feel really motivated and moved as well. Mm. And it, it's such a different experience, isn't it? When you're immersed in people's stories, um, in, in a virtual reality environment, um, I can imagine that capacity for empathy is, is much more powerful. And you talk about how, how the efficacy of the, um, street representatives of UNICEF getting getting much more traction on their signups after people have experienced that, right? And it's 
it, it points to, I think, that people, you, you have this more empathetic experience, um, or very powerfully empathetic experience sometimes. And, uh, it, it, so do, do you, is that something which you agree with? Is that, is that a big part of it? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that's a, a big part of it. And I think it happens. Um, if you decided to go to Liberia, let's just say you could visit a refugee camp, you could go to Liberia, you could get into Gaza and, and meet these people. Um, I think your relationship and what you would discover would be very different than what you do even in the films. Because I think the films allow you to be there and share in that experience without necessarily that level of, um, you know, awkwardness that mm. I think can come. Like it allows for, a certain dignity for these people to, you know, you can, you can enter their lives without necessarily violating their privacy and space. Mm -hmm. And that dynamic that forms of, oh, it's like an aid worker. Oh, it's a Westerner. And we must, you know, do certain things. You, you don't necessarily come to the truth that way, yeah. you know? And I think what it does is like what, what astounds people is that they have so many stereotypes, so many judgments about what this part of the world is like. And what people from there are like because of, you know, incredibly sensational images through the media or through a lot of what's happening that I think they realize that there's just an ordinariness. There's a calmness that in some ways, if they're getting their children ready for school, we do the same thing. They might be in a bombed out area. Mm. They might be in more challenging circumstances, but their concerns are the same. You know, what, what, one, what people love in all the films we've done is they say, we love it when we get to have a meal with these people, you know? We get to, in some ways, see what they're having. You know, like, there's something about that very ordinary thing mm. of sharing that experience and feeling like you're a part of their their life in some ways without necessarily intruding on them. So I think mm. that's what leads to the empathy. The empathy that forms is through... And, you know, I've been, I've been getting into a slight, uh, in a very polite, Twitter war with Paul Bloom of uh, who wrote Against Empathy, um, but it's very polite because he's incredibly erudite and intelligent, and I actually respect a lot of his work he does on empathy. Mm -hmm. And he says, "Well, you know, empathy is all, isn't always so great because it's biased because you end up empathizing with people who are like you, you know, according to neurological, you know, all that stuff." Mm -hmm. And I think I told him, I said, "You know, the films that we do, it's precisely that to show you different." points of commonality that you didn't mm. expect that you actually have with these people. They are like you, mm. you know, and in showing you that you have more empathy because you realize they are, they do the same things you do. It doesn't matter if they have a hijab, it doesn't matter if they're, the skin of their, the color of their skin is different. It's about that shared sort of thing. And that's what I think, you know, we think the empathy thing is very important if it's done in that way. You're listening to Film Disruptors in conversation with Gabo Aurora. And in this section, Gabo talks about his upcoming projects at the UN. Personally, I'm prioritizing a couple of things this year. Um, I'm doing some a project with the UN World Food Program uh, related to something, their frontline responders and trying to really shine a light that in all these difficult areas, uh, right away you have these aid convoys and these people, uh, a lot of these people on the front lines really trying to bring support. So we're trying to 
partner with with Samsung to do a kind of um, use their cheaper um, consumer grade VR cameras that are coming out into the market and really trying to build capacity and workshops with these first responders because I can't go into Aleppo or I can't go into those places. But if there is a way we can try to capture that reality meaningfully and try to bring that back, but also build capacity where I'm not just telling these stories. I don't want to just turn it into um, a capacity building for capacity building. Like I'm always about compelling content. You know, like, w- do we develop a storytelling kit? Do we give people structure? Hmm. Do we do we do that? And then do we engage like Spike Jones and other like directors who like use that footage and then work with the filmmaker? You know, like we need to figure out. At the end of the day, the proof is in, 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 in how much we can engagement we get on something, you know, because I, I'm not, it, it's, it's usually, you know, it's like the whole tree falls in the forest, but you could, you know, no one hears it mm. that it happened. Mm. It's the same thing. You can make great content, but if nobody, if it doesn't resonate and it doesn't pop, um, then there's no point in doing it. So we're really, I'm very, very like, it's a new challenge for me because it's in some ways allowing, uh, re- relinquishing some creative control but trying to produce things in a way that's meaningful and that engages new, you know, a whole new generation of storytellers. So that's really, that's a big priority. Um, another big priority, of course, is constantly the, the sort of backlash against refugees. And so we have, you know, a story that we're, we're trying to do a series that would be a little bit more well produced on trying to get, uh, refugees really, um, you know, get people to, to understand how they work. And so we have some initial ideas of like a refugee cooking show, um, you know, where you're really able to kind of go into these kitchens and learn about people. Uh, you, you're, you're able to learn a recipe, but you're also at the same time uh, learn about their lives and what that food meant to them from where they're from, you know. So it mm-hmm. brings in an element of nostalgia. And in some ways, you know, it really is through those points of commonality that, we're trying to make something episodic that would be focused on refugees, but also show that refugees are not all in the Middle East. You know, <laughs> they're all over the world, hmm. and that we have, uh, you know, I think 65 million people who are displaced, you know, in the world. So, you know, it's about trying to come up with creative ways to build empathy for refugees, and especially now, I, I think Clouds Over Sutra was really great, but we're trying to make something that's a little bit more episodic, uh, a little bit more that would be could go viral. You know, because I, I, I did a viral video and I saw the power of that. Nothing in, I mean, there have been some things like Game of Thrones VR, you know, 360 on face to Facebook that have done well, but we'd like to do that with some of our content to really get an enormous amount of engagement, even if it's 360. So we're yeah. trying to figure out how we would, we would do that. Um, so that's, mm. you know, that's the, the refugee crisis, um, mm. all of those things. Mm. What's happening at the the forefront of conflict is some of what I'm focusing on. For the UN, of course, you know, there's there's you know, of course, we care about a lot of other things, but I'm just trying to focus on certain things that I feel like I can make a difference on. Choose your battles, uh, indeed. Yeah. Just to um, come back to the storytelling front, you mentioned um, your new project. Is that the last goodbye? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's, you said, is a, is a room scale VR. I mean, is that a, is that, um, a different type of storytelling structure or, or experience? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, it, it, it takes a lot of work and experimentation for a regular 360 um, to think about how one tells a story and directs, uh, directs a person's view or where they can look at, right? And there's a lot of debate about the role of the director um, in, a, in a story where one cannot necessarily control people's gaze. And I don't think that's true because I think there's other cues and ways that you can do it. <clears throat> and it's a very different, it's a very different way of, of telling stories. Now imagine you not only could turn around your head, but you could walk around into different spaces and you could walk around, you know, a space. And so for me, um, it's been a whole new challenge. There's also elements of interactivity that you can do with a Vive or an Oculus Rift, which is with controllers. Mm. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot, you know, it just adds a lot of factors. And for me, uh, it's that challenge that I really wanted to, to, to tackle. And when I, when I thought about how one would tell stories and that and what this could particularly work for, like, UN theme type of work, um, for me, I thought about, um, you know, genocide survivors and history. And I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually walk around with a survivor, uh, in the, in the place where, you know, certain things had happened and kind of bear witness to their, their testimony. And I think that's a really, really important part of the UN's founding and the UN's history. I mean, I think it's entire, um, I always say it wrong because I do speak French, uh, raison d'être, right? Mm. Uh, reason for being. Mm. I was embarrassed. I always show my Queens roots, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's like East no. End in London. We have uh, Queens in New York City. Uh, sure, no, it sounded, it, sounded, it sounded perfect to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, the, the reason for being um, is really to prevent what happened after World War II again, right? Yes. The war and the genocide, you know, and that's why, you know, um, you know, what happened in Serbia haunts us. Rwanda haunts us, you know. And, and, and like, those are, like, go at the core of the DNA of the organization. And it's just the feeling of in, in, incredible failure, you know, if that happens. So, for me, I said, what if we, you know, did something that kind of did that? And for me, it kind of is the root um, sort of trauma that I think informs a lot of the other work I've done where I think, you know, have we gotten over this? Have we understood this? You know, and, and it feels like we haven't because a lot of people, especially a lot of survivors, a lot of Holocaust survivors are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the same thing again, you know, and there's a lot of them who are saying that, you know, they don't feel convinced that we've really learned from their story and history. And so I thought, you know, what if we were able to use the power of this technology and do the first ever VR archive, you know, that would, you know, capture their story in photogrammetry and live action and everything, you know, for generations and where you could actually go there, be with them, um, and learn from it again. And so that's what really the, it's, it's an epic project, uh, you know, uh, but I think you have to be epic, uh, in doing anything like this because the stakes are high. I mean, I grew up, um, I watched, um, Showa by Cloud Landsman, which, you know, changed my life and, uh, the graphic novel Mouse, um, um, which is also on, on these types of issues. Schindler's List. I mean, the, the good thing is, um, where, 
working closely with the Shoah Foundation, which is founded by Steven Spielberg, and he's also advising on the project. And it's really, you know, it's it's been it's been really interesting to see what we could do using these technologies and understanding where this would fit within other testimonies and other works of art that do it. So mm. we're really we're really excited by it, and I'm really I'm really hoping it'll not only push forward the boundaries of what VR can do and technology can do for storytelling, but what it can do, you know, for the future of testimony and how it can have its own impact. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm basically always now, you know, and in, in, uh, we, I can't say where it's going to debut, but it'll debut somewhere really nice uh, and hopefully very soon. And hopefully, you know, we can continue to make a new form of impact with that kind of work. Mm. Exciting. Um, and it sounds as if you're bringing in, for want of a better word, more game-like elements into it, the interactivity. Is that a, is that a new part of the process which you had to onboard, which was game engine mechanics or, 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 yeah. or not? Yeah. I mean, it's a contentious word when you say game uh, yes. and documentary sure. and film. Because those two don't really play well with each other, <laughs> and, uh, and I think I think we're, and then you know, is it a choose? In other sort of in our in in my sort of world, if you really want to like subversively, backhandedly, you know, insult someone, you would say choose your own adventure or something like yeah, that. Right, you know? right. And 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 I still see myself primarily as uh, a filmmaker. And there is an element of it being on rails, as we say, um, where you do have to submit to a kind of like broader narrative. But yes, we, we are trying to build elements of interactivity that feel natural, that don't f make it feel like a game. Because the last thing I'd want to do is take such a story like this and make it feel like a video game, sure. you know, because there are the sensitivities around it. So, but then, we want to take advantage of it and how do we do that? And so we're using very subtle techniques and I'm, 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 I'm inching towards that where I think someone else with a different background would be very different. I mean, just to give you an example, uh, Navid Kansari with 1979, a revolution is about the Iranian revolution and it's a video game. And his background is with Grand Theft Auto. You know, he helped make mm. Grand Theft Auto 3. Mm. And then he started his own thing to do this. And it's exquisite. It's amazing, you know. Um, and it's it's very, very, very interesting. But he's making, and you know, so if he was doing this, his choices would be very different than mine. Um, so I do think we are bringing in those elements, but we do it cautiously because I still want to try to get people, I think just bringing people somewhere and having a powerful story and then not allowing those bells and whistles to distract you is still the right way to go. Because I found that with, you know, Clouds of Procedure, Ways of Grace, everything, they're very simple. I mean, they're very, very, very simple at the heart of it, but the story is what carries you, you know? And so that's what we're really trying to, mm. I'm trying to lean on again. But, you know, I think going forward, I think you will see, hopefully, gaming and the film world play a little better. You know, I hope so. <laughs> You're listening to Film Disruptors in conversation with Gabo Aurora. And in this section, we talk about virtual reality distribution, monetization, and how Hollywood is embracing the new medium. <laughs> <laughs> 
talking about the impact side of things there or, or, or the, you know, creating a viral, um, uh, piece of work leads on to distribution. Uh, obviously that's, that is a big question or challenge in the VR space, how to get that penetration. Uh, you mentioned one way, which is having a 360 video, um, uh, what, how do you see that developing? I mean, uh, is 2017 going to see a massive um, uptake in, in people having their own headsets? What, what, how do you see that distribution side um, unfolding? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it requires a lot of patience um, because there's about 5 million um, Samsung Gear headsets that I have sold in, I think, the United States. So I think they're... they're a lot of it is um, a lot of it is understanding that um, the engagement will only increase. Um, that even if you don't necessarily get engagement now, having that content ready um, is just going to make sure that it has a life. I mean, Cloud Procedure is almost two and a half years old now. Yet I constantly, constantly get a lot of people saying, "Just saw it. It was amazing." Um, same thing with our other films. So it's a very rare opportunity to be able to create content early that might not necessarily have the same engagement that will then end up having a broader viewership as the hardware, as, as other, as other sort of distribution channels, um, mature. And so I think, I think a lot of it is, uh, a lot of the apps, I mean, our app for it being you know, uh, a kind of non-profit app in September when we launched it has done quite well. Um, and it's not like a ton, but then we do work with other people who have a lot more sort of engagement. Our work is on the New York Times app, the Within app, and these have millions of sort of downloads, you know. And so there is, there. it's still a little bit dicey because I'm not like a thousand percent convinced that as many people are seeing it as they would like the two million people that saw the viral video I did. Hmm. Um, but they're definitely hearing about it, you know, because if you look at the media impressions and what's happening, um, there is a lot of way of people understanding that there is something out there, um, that VR is about social good as well. And so I think, you know, in some ways I know that people will be slow to discover it, but I've been always a lot more patient. And I think anyone working in this sort of thing, I don't think that should be the discouragement, I think it really should be about making something new and compelling and pushing the medium forward. And I'm almost confident that if it's good, if not now, in six months, it's going to have a very long shelf life because more and more people adopt it. They're going to be watching content and they're going to be looking for it and they'll find, you know, these things to watch. Um, you, I mean, you mentioned film and, and Hollywood and, and Steven Spielberg earlier. Um, so uh, what what's your um what is your take or or direct experiences of how hollywood is grappling with vr they imagine that they they want they want in but what's your experience or or view on that at the moment where where do you see hollywood at this stage um i i really feel that um the the environment and the boom and the excitement uh, coming out of Hollywood and Los Angeles in particular, for me, make it the VR mecca in the world right now. Wow. Um, and, and to me, people will say San Francisco, you know, cause the tech and everything. 
But none of that tech really matters unless you have compelling content. And uh, Hollywood, for better or for worse, and there are better and worse parts of it, um, are really able to really, they're master storytellers and, you know, incredible sort of ways of like an emotional journey. And so I have been able to experience and see um, and, and, and privileged enough to have, you know, friends and everyone who, you know, the early pioneers working on it, where I think it, there's an incredible amount of excitement and an incredible amount that can be done, uh, especially as a lot of tech companies now are also moving to Los Angeles. So it's not just San Francisco. You have what they're calling Silicon Beach, and then you have Snapchat that's LA-based, and, you know, you have other things. So I think in a lot of ways that very unique chemistry that's happening and of course, you have a lot of New Yorkers that love LA, so we go out there. Uh, so I think it really has something that's really powerful. And so, no, the the excitement is palatable. Um, I think almost everybody realizes this is a thing, and how we would how we would go about it. I think the concern always is <clears throat> you have the early sort of pioneers playing around with it, um, and it's just about where they would fit in and how those would happen. But you know, Chris Milk, you know, is has signed some deals with Fox and, you know, you have other, other sort of things happening in the sort of environment of working with old Hollywood. And I think it's just going to lead to a really exciting place. So I think they're onto it. I think they're investing in it. I think they care about it. Um, my sort of feeling is I'm, I'm New York based and a lot of that is because I'm here and my family is here. But, uh, and I think the New York scene has its own, um, advantages and is really really a, a strong scene as well but i really do look for los angeles for my post-production and inspiration and just the enthusiasm that's there you know i mean when i'm in new york <clears throat> i don't know how it is in london or other places but when i'm in new york it's still a little bit where i'm like in that teaching mode or i have to convince people you know mm. and and in california it's like the future you know and that futurism that optimism it's almost it's almost slightly ridiculous and like you can do a satire on it, you know, but I think it's really healthy with a new medium to just go forward that way. And so to me, it's the, the biggest inspiration is coming from Los Angeles and from Hollywood. You're listening to Film Disruptors in conversation with Gabo Aurora. And in this final section, Gabo gives his advice for the emerging storyteller. I mean, <clears throat> I think um, any any artist or storyteller is trying to find an opportunity to be able to express their voice um, and express what they want to uh, put out into the world. And I think um, if I didn't venture into virtual reality, and you know, I've done other regular film stuff, um, would I have been able to? have the same level of opportunity and, and success? Uh, probably not, maybe eventually. So I think what it is is to try to really explore not just VR, but augmented reality and voice recognition and, you know, a whole host of new technologies because it just, it just amplifies the possibilities of what you could do. And you might not want to do that because you're not as comfortable and you need to then break out of that comfort zone and realize that 
storytelling is not just what you learned in film school. It can happen in, in a, in a whole multifaceted range. And so I think really like not limiting yourself and not thinking that, Oh, I'm just doing this in voice recognition AR and who's going to watch it? How's it going to happen? But what it does is if you, if you create and you crack a new code of how it can be done, um, you make a name for yourself and you, you are able to then use that to leverage into doing maybe more of those types of stories or collaborate with other people in other ways. So it definitely is not like some weird science you're working in the back of a laboratory and that it's not going to make a difference. It will. I mean, I personally right now, you know, I'm moving into room scale, but then of course I'm looking into, I got a, I got a HoloLens sort of uh, demo with Microsoft and I'm like, immediately thinking how I can use this, you know, and that I, I, I better get on it. And I, uh, you know, Alexa with, um, you know, these, these, uh, voice recognition mm. sort of uh, things in our homes. Mm. Uh, how, how does that work? There's something in that, right? Mm. If you want, you know, Spike Jones is her, um, you know, it kind of like alludes to how that could be something that could, you know, you can interact with. And what is that going to look like? Bots on, on Facebook, uh, you know, so like really expanding what the concept of the story is and really trying to play with that technology. And what you will find, I think an emerging storyteller will absolutely find, is if you make one sort of pass towards any technological company or people, they rush at you because they, there's a boom right now, right? In AI and VR and AR and there's venture capital money. But they need content in order to show that their hardware, their technology is awesome. And I think that's where you have to form that relationship because you'll, you'll realize you'll be able to get more opportunity funding and possibly, you know, more press out of it in some ways too. They get more people excited about what you're trying to do. So that would be, I mean, I, I, I definitely think everyone should think about it that way and break out of old ways of thinking about how we tell stories. Mm. That's uh, really, really interesting and very um, inspiring, I think, and um, really encouraging people to be bold and, and really embrace all these new opportunities. I love the idea of, of personalized storytelling through these, um, through, through like, say through yeah. bots or through Lex. There's, there's so much, there's so much potential there, right? Um, and it just needs people to take risks, I guess, and, and grasp it. Yeah. Yeah. And it pushes, it pushes all of us forward. I mean, a lot of the work that we've done, no one thought you could use VR for good in this sort of way until it became, you know, there were people working on it, but when more people kept working, like Nine the Pena, of course, is like the godmother of it all. Uh, but, you know, after a while, when we showed some success, now it's led to this boom where it's just taken for granted that VR can be used for good, you know? Yeah. When before, when I was getting involved with it, it was, no, it's just gaming, or it's going to be pornography, or it's going to be something else, you know? So I think whenever people experiment and come up with something, it just, these, these mediums and this industry is so new, it can influence the whole culture of it. And if you think about it, like with the computer, um, with Steve Jobs and their values and what they brought to it, they were not just trying to make something that was computational. They had aspirations about connecting the world or, you know, giving you, like, you know, the same experiences like 
some psychedelics had or other things, you know? And I think, you know, it, 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 it's changed how we relate with computers and think about them now, you know? We, we're looking for technology to connect us and to think about it. And I think it's those early pioneers and their values and their storytelling and their interfaces that have, you know, shaped an entire world. And I think it's the same thing with VR. Um, I mean, VR, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I think it will be as transformational as the mobile phone, as the internet. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. So if we go into that and we do that with AI and everything, I think we can create something of value so it's not just hijacked by, you know, commercial interests and other things that happen. So it's very important for artists and storytellers to be involved. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, as I said, really inspiring. Thank, thank you. I, we've covered a lot, but I feel there's so much more to <laughs> which we haven't. Um, but I, uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but thank just, just finally, you know, how, how do people find out more about UN VR and more about you? Um, you can, uh, I'm on Twitter at Gabo Aurora. Uh, on the app store, you can download the app by searching for UNVR. And, um, that's, that's, those are the best ways to really kind of learn more and get involved. Great. Well, Gabo, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. If you'd like to find out more, check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, that's S-T-O-L-Z, where you can download today's show notes, sign up for updates, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and look forward to seeing you again soon. Soon.